welcome to the GMC podcast, a place where you can find sermons and other highlights from the team at GMC, Gillespie Memorial Church in Dunfermline, Scotland. The podcast brings you the final series of teaching from St. Paul's letter to the Roman Church as we look through the text of chapters 12 through 16. We will be challenged to understand what a church shaped by grace should look like for us all today. Previous series in Romans have looked at coming under grace in chapters 1 through 4, living under grace in chapters 5 through 8, and in chapters 9 through 11 we considered the overflow of grace, which can be found in our sermon archives at the GMC website gillespiechurch.org by searching under the sermon categories for Romans. But before the wisdom from God's word today, We'll take a moment in a short time of prayer. I know many of us will have um, seen President Biden's uh, speech after the strike in Afghanistan where he said, we will not forget, we will not forgive. Um, And that's just not scriptural. But so often when we are hurt deeply, wounded deeply, forgiveness is the last thing that we want to do and certainly not forgetting. And as we come to pray for others, I just want to encourage you if you're in a situation where you've been hurt, someone's hurt you, or you've been wounded or indeed if you feel God's let you down and in your spirit and your heart you're thinking, I can't forget this. And I'm certainly not going to forgive it. It keeps a thorn in our heart when we don't forgive. And it gives access to the enemy to keep that wound bleeding over and over and over again. When God tells us that we are to forgive our debtors so that we can be forgiven, it's for our own good that we forgive. So in a I'm not judging President Biden. He's trying to show strength to his people who are worried at the moment and who have lost their sons and daughters. But it's not an encouraging word to give a nation. We won't forget and we won't forgive because God forgives us from the cross of Jesus Christ. Every awful thing that we've ever done in this world. And as far as the east is from the west, he removes them. He forgets them as if they've never happened. So that's my prayer this morning as we pray for others, that there is forgiveness for Afghanistan and so many other places where people are wounded and hurt and want justice. We give that to the Lord. Let's come before God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do lift Afghanistan up to you just as our sister who spoke to us earlier asked us to. We pray especially for the women of Afghanistan who over these past 20 years have had an opportunity to emerge from the cloaks and the burqas, to walk the streets in safety, to be educated, to have jobs. And suddenly they see the threat of that all being taken away from them. 
and fear is in the hearts and minds and the streets of the people of Afghanistan. For those who risk their lives waiting in sewers for the chance of freedom, for those who were willing to put their baby over a barbed wire fence to escape this threat of Taliban. Father God, you know all of this. You know the fear that reigns and fear is not from you. So we pray this morning that you would bind the fear and the spirit of fear that is racing through this country, that you would loose your shalom, your peace into the hearts and minds of men, women, and children who remain in Afghanistan. There is nothing that is too difficult for you. So we pray for the Taliban. And we pray they may encounter the Lord Jesus Christ. And know the freedom from fear and cruelty and the power struggles. May their eyes be opened to the truth and the light of the Lord who died on the cross for them. We thank you for those who chose to stay behind, to work with the people. May this give them hope. We thank you for agencies like Tear Fund and others who are there in the midst, who are bringing practical relief as well as spiritual relief and respite. And we thank you that your word says, Wherever there is darkness, the light shines. And we look to you, Lord, to see the light shine in this situation. We look to see your promise that you work everything together for good, for those that love you and are called according to your purpose. And there are Christians in Afghanistan who love you and who are called and who are praying that somehow you will work good out of this situation. We ask your blessing on Afghanistan. We ask your protection on the last of the troops who are to leave. We pray against any strikes by Islamic State, by extreme factions. We pray against it. And ask, Lord, that you would bind it and that the miracle of your shalom and your peace would pour down over this land. We pray for the government that will be formed and for the massive, massive job they have of actually running the country, that there would indeed be food to eat, medical care. We're not out of COVID yet, Father. One atrocity seems to supersede another. But we thank you, God, that we can look to you in all of these situations and know your compassion, your love, your grace, and your mercy are new every morning. We pray for our own nation, Lord. And for the encouragement of our government, they have much that is thrown at them. They're just men and women. 
Grant them your wisdom for the decisions that they'll make. And help us as a people to support our government and pray for them. Forgive our critical spirit. And let us lift our eyes to you, the author and perfecter of our faith. We pray for our own community here in Dunfermline as we see the COVID rate rise again and again. Lord, we don't want to live in fear. We want to walk in righteousness. You gave that to us. But help us too to be sensible, to care for one another in the ways that we've been asked to, to look out for our brothers and sisters, our neighbours, for those who are frail, for those who are isolated. We pray for our young people who have gone back to school with an uncertain year again ahead of them. Thank you for the outreach that we're doing here at this church. I pray that you would bless Lee and his team in all that they're doing with the young people. I pray you would bless us as a church, Father, that we would know how to be church in this day and in this age. Whatever we've known before, that was old wine. This is a new day. Let us not run before you, but steadfastly look to you, humble ourselves, bow our knee and listen for your voice. And Father, if any of us are sitting here today with unforgiveness in our heart against another, would you help us? Help us to forget and to forgive. Sometimes it goes right back to our childhood a cruel word spoken over us that remains and forms part of our identity. But our identity is to be found in you as a child of God. I am a child of God. I'm no longer a slave to fear. So we praise you and thank you. And for others who are on our heart, Lord, that we know that are struggling with forgiveness, we lift them silently before you now. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers, for we ask them in Jesus' name and thank you that we can come and pray. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Following the prayer, I hope your heart has been stilled and prepared for God's word today to reach you where you are. If anything you hear in today's word from God and in the sermon challenges you, maybe raising questions, and you want to know more about how we can support you in your faith, or maybe how you might like to support GMC in our ministry for the kingdom, then please contact us through our website, gillespiechurch.org. Now, over to our preacher. back. It's been a long time, or seems so, since we started it. In fact, we started it back in January 2020, pre-pandemic. And back then we looked at the first four chapters back in January into February and whenever, however long it took and we thought about coming under grace. 
We didn't then pick it up again until the autumn. Uh, COVID got in the way and I kind of changed the schedule a bit. But in the autumn of last year into the beginning of this year, we considered chapter 5 through to 8 and the theme then was living under grace. And then after Easter this year, if you were here or you were watching them online then, um, we did chapter 9 to 11. And if you remember, Paul was delving into so much Old Testament references and that we referenced as an overflow of grace. You might get the theme here, grace. And so we are now heading into the closing chapters of Romans and this series is called A Church Shaped by Grace. A Church Shaped by Grace. I've been wondering why um, the Lord led me into Romans. Some of you have said to me, it's, it's hard and it's difficult, and it is. Um, but my hope is that this series, though far, these first 11 chapters we've done, you'll be able to refresh your memories. I challenge you, I encourage you this week to, when you're at home, pick up your Bibles. Reread Romans, St. Paul's letter to the Romans from beginning to end. Reacquaint yourself with where we've been, why Paul has been writing what he has been writing in this letter to the Roman church. It's a letter that changes individuals' lives. And, it, and Paul, in a sense, was writing to individuals. But more than that, he was writing to change not just individual hearts towards the Lord... Paul was writing to change the shape of the church he was writing to, that they would live humbly under grace. And that comes about by, yes, changing individual hearts, the people of God, that then changes the church that would then reach out in humble service with missionary zeal, with grace. And boy, do we need that today. Humble service, missionary outreach, all under grace. So let's hear from God's word from the beginning of chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ we, though many, form one body and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Thank you, God, for the reading of your holy word. To your name be praise and glory. 
And now, Father, I hope and pray the meditations and words that come to me this week will rest on all of our hearts as we come to you humbly. Come before you, God. Amen. So grace has been the backbone, the cornerstone, the foundation, whatever uh, metaphor you want to throw at it. This whole series on Romans, it's grace. Grace, the unmerited love of God in the person of Jesus Christ, in his death, his resurrection and ascension. Grace is Jesus dying to save you and me in our sins through faith. Know this, without faith alone in Christ, we have no Christianity, no Christian faith. And if there's no faith, there's no church. And so, this morning we should be asking what Paul has been urging the Roman church to be, to do. He is pointing away from individuals and towards God. He's pointing towards the kindness of God. He's pointing towards the love of God. And if you think back to last week and previous weeks, what have we been talking about? We've been talking about a summer of love. A love that by grace should shape the church. And if a church is such a place shaped by grace and love, it would be a remarkable place where we live in spiritual harmony. A church like that would seek to overcome evil, to change the societies of the world, to live as a kingdom of God. They sound lofty ideals, don't they? But actually, it's a calling for all of us to pin back our ears, to listen and understand the meaning that Paul was writing to a Roman church, how we can take his words and understand them for today. We want those words from the first century to seep into our hearts and to understand what the call is to the church that we inhabit in our time, in our space today. And it will be that the church is fully shaped by grace. So this morning's text will be handled in two parts. Verses 1 and 2, well, they're an appeal to be shaped by grace, and then I'll deal with 3 to 8, which is about being called to serve together as one body under grace. That's how we're going to deal with it this morning. So Paul kicks off with a therefore, and it's a while since we've been in Romans, and a therefore points to something that comes before. Sometimes it's a, it's a therefore refers to the previous sentence. But this isn't that. This isn't, I've just said this in the last sentence, and now the next part refers to that previous sentence. This, as we move into chapter 12 and beyond, is building on the entirety of the letter so far. That's why I've talked about going back and reacquainting yourself. If you want to be fully reacquainted, go back onto the Gillespie website and find all the old sermons on Romans. But there is in this section a more general appeal to these last chapters we dealt with, 9 through 11, where the great truths of sovereign, overflowing mercy and grace were writ large. And Paul is now urging, as he's explained what grace means, 
the Roman church to respond. He's appealing them to them. He's exhorting their hearts to understand what he writes. And his appeal isn't on behalf of himself. His appeal is on behalf of the merciful God. This same God, folks, who has been merciful and continues to be so in your lives and lives of people around the world today. And how is he merciful? He is merciful in your fallen state, in my fallen state. So listen up. If we have, as individuals, come to know Jesus, to accept his love, salvation, and lordship, then come on, you need to be urged by these, Paul's of, these words of Paul. He says he urges And if somebody here or somebody listening on the podcast when it goes out later today doesn't know Jesus, they need to listen up as well. Because these words of Paul explains what humans, yes, all humans, whether they're Christians or not, should do in response to Jesus. What the church should be, what it should look like in the world. So what is Paul urging? Urging his readers and his listeners to do. What's he saying come to do to offer your body as a sacrifice your body what's that mean it means the all of you if you think about yourself you are enfleshed you are an embodied soul you have flesh and blood and bone and all of that stuff that make us up I'm looking out at you, all your individual faces and hair colours and, and shapes and sizes. That's your, the sum of your anatomy. But that's not all that you are. You are a spirit, a soul. That's your body, all of it. But we do need our physical body to relate to others through our physicality. It's how we relate to the world. It's how we relate to others through our emotions, our senses, our spirit. But we absolutely need our bodies because without them, we wouldn't be able to hear or to see or to speak or to walk or touch or taste or anything like that. So when Paul is talking about offering your bodies... He's talking about to offer everything of who and what we are. In our thoughts and in our feelings, in our power or lack thereof, in our mortality and our sinfulness, we offer it all as Christians. And we get to do so because we know that one day, this body that we inhabit, this frail, broken body, will be redeemed. So we can offer it fully, all of it. But we get to offer it as a living sacrifice. Sacrifice, that old Jewish system of sacrifice. Actually, it's a system that isn't just um, known to the Jewish world of the old temple system. Sacrifice takes place in many countries I spent some time at, uh, in uh, Mexico in the ruins there at Chichen Itza and a couple of other temples and wow, they used to sacrifice living people to the gods. So in many ancient cultures, including the Jews, a sacrificial system was at a particular place in a particular time. 
If we think about uh, the nation of Israel, they sacrificed at a particular place, the temple, often at particular times on particular festival days. And they would bring grain or oil or a dove or a lamb, depending on, on the festival and what was needed and what they were bringing to God. So their sacrificial time was place and time bound. But Jesus swept all of that away. His once and for all death upon a cross was the only sacrifice required for the sins of humanity. His death redeemed all who would and will acknowledge him. And so Paul's request, his demand of Christians to make of their bodies a living sacrifice, is not literally to place your body up on an altar, as Abraham did with Isaac, but rather to offer your body in daily life, in daily sacrifice, in the sacrifice of service to our Lord and to others, as he did for us. And it says it's pleasing, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Well, that's how it's translated in the version I have here in the NIV. Elsewhere, that true and proper worship is translated as spiritual worship or a reasonable act of worship. The response to God's love, his grace is obvious, it's reasonable, it's the right response of Christians. It's true, proper, spiritual worship to offer ourselves. Sometimes we get caught up with worship, is what we come and do on a Sunday morning, we worship here. You worship all week long as you offer your bodies in sacrifice. Christians are different by definition from those who do not follow Jesus. If they're not followers of Jesus, they're not a Christian. It's what marks us out. And so I'm going to say, in a sense, there's no point in urging non-believers to offer themselves to God because they're enslaved to sin. It's only when repentance comes into one's heart that you can truly know your own state of sinfulness. And it's then you can come before the throne of grace in worship with your body. And so Paul is urging Christians not to, not to move that way, to conform with the way the world is. But that's hard. What does the world look like? When I was preparing, and, and this happened to be on Tuesday, this, I wasn't done with the sermon by Tuesday, by the way. It's taken longer than that. But on Tuesday, and actually that's quite small. That's, that's a screenshot of Tuesday at about, I think, midday-ish, 12.30, something like that, of the top 10 stories that were being read on the BBC News website. The fact that McDonald's was, had run out of milkshakes because of delivery issues was the most read story at that point in the day. Number two was a news story about the big yid. You all know who he is. Billy Connolly, his struggle with Parkinson's. And the third story was about ex-body model and reality star Katie Price had had some altercation. She'd been in hospital and uh, uh, some guy who'd assaulted her had been arrested. Those were the top three stories at that moment on Tuesday. Of course there were other news stories. I mean, that's kind of a screenshot of of the front page of the website. So Afghanistan was there, COVID, Paralympics... And Love Island, of course, was there, because that's really important, isn't it? 
not. If you scan the news any day, and we live in that world that our news reflects back to us, ask this question, does what the news is putting out reflect the Christian life? If you listen to radio, listen to commercial radio to Virgin or Capital or whatever, Fife Radio or Radio 2 or 4, and then listen to the news you hear on UCB or Premier, there's a slight difference in emphasis. Our world does not reflect the Christian life. It's not compatible with the ways of God and the life of Jesus. Yet it's the world we inhabit as humans. And as humans, we are naturally imitative. We imitate the world around us. We let it infect us. We like to fit in and not stand out from the crowd. And so people find their moral characters become shaped by the world. Just think how the moral character of the British Western American society has been shaped post-war. Our behaviours, our morals essentially start to become those of our peers. And it's why I believe many Christians are confused. I was. Less so now. It's like Christians are a chameleon. We change our colours to fit our surroundings. So we adopt one colour in church, we adopt another at work, we adopt another when we're with our friends and family or on the golf course. We end up confused about what our faith says about how we should live. We come to church and do we go out in the world and live that one true colour of Christ? And this is why Paul is saying we're not to be conformed to the world, but rather to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Saying that followers of Jesus, you've moved from this age, you've moved from this world, you have been tilted towards the age to come. If you're a Christian, you've died with Christ to sin, you've risen with him, and therefore, sin should no longer be your master. The ways of the world. You are under grace and not the law. You're freed from the shackles of this sinful world. So don't keep going back to it and conforming to its ways. It's a cosmic spiritual battle that requires positive transformation. If you think about the transformation, Jesus went under on the Mount of Transfiguration where the apostles Peter, James, and John saw him in his glorious state of the age to come. Jesus transformed. Not as the man he was on earth leading them, but as he would be in the age to come. And so by the grace of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, that is how we should be renewing our minds, oriented towards the age to come when our bodies will be fully redeemed. If we have those transformed minds, our human thinking becomes turned upside down, we no longer accept the ways of the world, we instead conform to the ways of God and do not turn to those ways that dishonour him. To understand God's will, 
to be honest and clear, to hold ourselves up to be tested by God's will can only be done if we release our control. If we allow ourselves to be renewed in the mind of the age to come where Jesus is king and the world is not. If we allow the world to continue to be our master, that transformation of the mind will struggle. And how do we allow that to happen? We come, we sit under the word of God. It's a really good phrase. To sit under the word of God. That is the only antidote to our age. If we sit under the news, under TV programs, under film, under media, under the ways of the world, then we'll let them change our behaviours. But if we sit under the word of God, that will inform the way our minds work, how we live. If it's not the word of God informing our lives, then it's not of God and we will live as the world lives. Remember what I said at the beginning. Paul is writing to change the shape of a church. That this church would live humbly under grace. The call to give your body as a living sacrifice to be renewed in mind and shaped by grace, yes, is an individual call. But the church is made up of individuals. So it is also a call to the church, the ecclesia, the body of Christ. And in the next verses, Paul moves to call his readers in Rome to, get, to, Rome to serve together as one body under grace. And what's that mean? In essence, it's simply the understanding that we serve one another. We serve one another simply, wholeheartedly, because we as Men and women, brothers and sisters in Christ, have understood we owe everything to grace. We inhabit our space as Christians because we owe everything to grace. This letter, these verses and the ones to come are calling individuals in Christ to be joined as the body of Christ. So collectively the church would overflow with love even towards those who would hate them. If they do that, if we do that as church, we will have an impact on the world around us. Paul's appeal is literally about thinking. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment or, <laughs> or with sober thinking. With lots of thinking in there. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but rather think of yourself with sober thinking. So how are we to think of ourselves? In accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. As people of faith. But what does that mean with the faith that God has distributed? Has he distributed the same amount of faith to all the followers? Or has God given specific amounts of faith to each person, slightly different in each? I mean, if that's the case, then the calling is to look at ourselves in light of our faith, in light of the gifts God has given us, 
and recognize where each of us stands in the church, in the body of Christ, and pursue those gifts God has given appropriately. And we are called to different things. However, the meaning of that distribution of faith to each in accordance with God's will may mean that the measurement of faith is a general Christian standard, a standard that is the same for all believers. And by that measure, Paul is asking each person to look at themselves and compare themselves with the standard gospel faith. And do you measure up? Whichever it is, it is faith, faith that is the measuring standard for each of us. Faith is shorthand for remembering that you and I owe everything to God and have no reason to boast in our own abilities. We come broken, but we come in faith. So what of the church? Well, Paul uses this analogy elsewhere. He uses it in Ephesians 4 and 1 Corinthians 12, this metaphor of the body and its different parts. To belong to the age to come is to belong to Christ. It's to be in Christ. It means to belong to the body, the ecclesia of Christ, these, this gathered people of God, children of God. It's not about individuality, each of us, but all of us together in Christ and what we bring. What God's given gifts to each one of us, we bring so that we can work in the age to come, but in the world now. In, in this part from Romans, Paul lists seven examples of the exercise of grace gifts. It's not an exhaustive list. If you compare it to the other lists, there are some differences. But here he lists prophesying, teaching and encouraging. All speaking gifts, prophesying, teaching and encouraging. He also mentions service gifts, serving, giving or contributing, leading, showing mercy. I mean, those, those seven could easily fill a sermon on their own and it's not my intention to dissect them this morning, line by line. But I would note this list is perhaps well less known than the over, overlapping list found in uh, Ephesians, sorry, in 1 Corinthians. There's a, a, an overlapping list of nine and eight gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12. And then there's that short list of the five gifts in Ephesians 4. So there's a whole list in Paul's writing. But what is important in every case is that they are spirit-given and they are given in grace. It's God the Son who gives the gifts in Ephesians, God the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians, and here in Romans, it is God the Father. These are the gifts of God, the Trinitarian God, and they are given for the building up of his church, the body of Christ. Gifts are not given for the building up and glory of individuals. I've been listening to an interesting podcast from CT, Christianity Today, The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. 
an American pastor, uh, Mark Driscoll. It's a spectacular rise and fall. And now Mark is elsewhere running another church, and we'll see how that one goes. But I think sometimes people think with their giftings, God has put his anointing finger on them, and they get carried away by ego. The gifts of God are given for the building up and glory, not of individuals, so people can gain recognition for their specific gifts, but are to be carried by individuals in humility for the serving of others, to display to the world the glory of God in the age to come. One body, one church, many gifts. It sounds easy, doesn't it? Sounds simple. No, it's not. It's really difficult. Because do we operate in such a way? Do we operate as a united church? Nope. Not even within our own denomination. Sometimes not within individual congregations. Do we operate as a church transformed by the grace of God? I wish it were so. And do we operate as a church not conforming to the ways of the world? If only. And so you might say, why bother? Jesus calls us to be followers of Christ. One church, one body, with many gifts. If we can't do it, why bother? Well, maybe, just maybe if individuals in churches examined our own ways to see if they were reflecting God. Not only when we gathered with fellow Christians, but when we were at work or in a restaurant or the pub or on the football terraces or on the golf course or at a gig, on a walk, chatting to a neighbour, doing the shopping. If only we examined the ways we were operating in the world and we checked ourselves to make sure we were living not as the world wants us to live, but to live as Christ calls us to, then, then maybe the church might transform and perhaps the kingdom might just be a little closer on earth as in heaven. Let's pray. Father God, as we go back into this series in Romans, as we head to close it out over the coming months, Father, be with us as we grapple with Paul's words, and as we grapple their meaning for our own lives, but for us as church. Father, you would shape us in this church, but in, you would shape our churches across Dunfermline, across Fife, across changes in presbytery, and across our nation. Father, may your kingdom come now on earth as in heaven, and may your will be done always. Amen. Thanks for listening to the GMC podcast from Gillespie Memorial Church in Scotland. For more details about who we are, what we believe and how we serve, visit our website gillespiechurch.org and also search for us on YouTube and Facebook. All inquiries can be made through the contact us page of our website or by calling the office. This has been a production of the GMC team including our pastors and tech team. 
All copyright remains with the contributors and producers of this podcast. Thanks for listening and God bless.